0: Good to welcome you here this morning. Thank you for coming out and worshiping with us today. I want to remind you this coming Wednesday evening, informational meeting regarding the purchase of additional property, purchase of the property next door. We will not be voting. That is not a business meeting. It is an informational discussion uh, meeting. So I want to uh, invite you back for that on Wednesday evening at 7 I think Troy perhaps has already stated it, but our needs assessment committee wrapped up their project this week. It was their job to look at the ministry needs in the church as related to how many classrooms we're going to need going forward, what size we want those classrooms, how large we want the worship center, what kind of support and outreach ministry needs we have. Their report will now go to the Building Design Committee, who will eventually pull in an architect and actually begin to design the size and the layout of the building that we are going to need. We are very fortunate and happy to, to be meeting here and have this facility available. This is not our permanent uh, home, as far as we know, at this time. Troy and his team did an outstanding job. They've been going a little over two months, or probably right at two months. The last needs assessment committee I was involved with took two to three years. So uh, good for them, and thank you for each of you who served in that capacity. There's a strange uh, combination of feelings, even this morning, ranging on the one hand where we feel as if life is moving too fast, especially when it involves the fire, the insurance, and the purchase of additional property. And on the other hand, we want, we want to get to building. We want to get it finished. We want to get moved in to see whatever that final product is. It is a process. I keep reminding myself of this. It takes time. It takes patience, especially with one another. And it is so much like life in so many ways. So much so that Paul draws an analogy between building a building and building the church, not per se the church building, but the people. I watched a special on the History Channel the other evening, a a series called Colosseum. And this particular episode spotlighted the life of Ignatius, a second century Christian leader who was martyred, maybe around 120 A.D., He chose death at the jaws of a lion in the Colosseum as as opposed to offering a sacrifice or a pinch of incense to the Roman emperor, Trajan, or the Roman Empire. He said, I cannot do that. I serve one Lord, one God, that's Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to go to the Colosseum and be eaten by a lion rather than betray my Lord. His death sparked an explosion in the growth of the church in the Roman Empire. When he was killed, it is estimated there are around 40,000 Christians in Rome at that time in the Roman Empire. 150 years later, there were 150 million Christians. To the, and to the extent that Constantine, the emperor in about 3, 313 A.D., Professes Jesus Christ as his Savior and Christianity becomes legal for the first time in the Roman Empire. The narrator said that the martyrs, men and women like Ignatius, were were being built into a wall of the church. The church not being a building per se, but the church being a universal body of believers. When we speak about building the church... Let me remind you that we are not speaking about a physical building. We're not, speaki- we're not speaking about a particular denomination or individual church, but rather we're speaking, Ray Stedman put it this way. He said, what a strange building the church is. It is not made up of wood or stone and least of all glass. It is made up of people. And it consists of an in- invisible union among visible people. So in some sense, the church is both visible and invisible. You can see the church because the people of God gather in one place, and yet you cannot see the church because it is made up only of that spiritual tie, it is made up of that spiritual tie that binds us together in sharing the life of Christ that constitutes the church. Now what goes for the church applies to us as individuals as well. We are, as the commentator said, regarding Ignatius being built into the walls. Christ is building his church, and he is using you and I in that building. Paul refers, when it comes to building that church, Paul refers to himself as an expert or a master builder. So today we're going to look at building to last. And we're going to look at three fundamentals for building to last. And fundamental number one is build on the only acceptable foundation, that being Jesus Christ. Build on the only acceptable foundation, Jesus Christ. We don't want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 10 through 15. I'll read all of those, and then we'll go back and speak about them individually. Paul writes, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light." It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work if what he has built survives he will receive his reward if it is burned up he will suffer loss he himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flames Now, i've had many people share with me over the years that hey i don't want any reward I don't want any crowns. Just being in heaven will be enough. Well, as we go through this, I hope you realize that the quality of life that you seek now, that that man wants now, the quality of life that we want here, and the service that we are able to be involved in here are directly related to the wards and the crowns later. In other words, if there are no rewards and crowns later, there's probably going to be a Christian existence, but it's not going to be the abundant life that Jesus would have us enjoy. Paul said no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. I think the two most difficult phases of the demolition were tearing out the new found the foundation on the new building and tearing out the foundation on the old building the newer foundation had at least four sticks of 5 8 inch uh, steel rebar holding it together we had to have a wheel a, a a grinder with a wheel on it or a cutting torch in order to cut the the concrete and the rebar and cut so we could cut the concrete apart or if we didn't do that, then we would have to load it all in a big gnarly piece. In other words, there'd be a big hunk and then there'd be, it'd be broken, but it'd still be hanging by the steel and then there'd be another hunk. And and Matt was able to, to make that work, but uh, and anything like that that had steel on it had to go to the, had to go to the ditch, had to go out to the ditch, com- or out to the out to the landfill because the ditch company wouldn't accept it with the rebar sticking out. But by far the most difficult part, the most difficult foundation to remove was the foundation that was poured in 1925. Now we thought, you know how much it leaked down there, that that concrete would, uh, would be in bad shape, but it wasn't. It was, uh, it was, it was poured a foot thick. Because the old, the old church that was built in 1925 had three layers of bricks in it. Those of you who are uh, cleaning those bricks, you, you're well aware of the thousands and thousands and 30,000 or more bricks that went into, or 40,000 that went into building that thing. And You have two layers of soft bricks on the inside and then the veneer, the hard brick on the outside. Well, they had to pour the foundation wide enough to support all of that and uh, it was not moving. The excavator could not break it up. We had to order a jackhammer attachment and hook it to the skid steer, and Carson would take it in there and and jackhammer away and put a hole in it, and then the excavator could break it up. That's why Carson is still going around like this. (laughs) Jesus said, Paul said, when you're building the house of your life, take care. When you're building a house that is called your life, take care. Over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus shared what is a very familiar story with us. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said, and this is wrapping up the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, uh, this is one of his first and largest... Uh, teaching, uh, record, recorded teaching, uh, events, and, and wrapping that up, and this is found in Matthew's 5, 6, and 7, and I encourage you to become very familiar with this. Read, go home and read it on your own, Matthew's 5, 6, and 7, as well as the rest of the Scripture. But Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, Jesus is the rock he's referring to in that parable. Jesus is that rock or that foundation that no jackhammer, no excavator, no dynamite can move. The earth will quit orbiting the sun. The sun will wear out, but Christ is eternal, and he is that solid rock he cannot be moved or shaken and so it is with the wise man who builds on that foundation there are many ideas out there today many counterfeits many other foundations that people are building on many knockoffs many cheap imitations Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 3:11 no one can lay Any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, first of all, build on the only acceptable foundation, Jesus Christ. Number two, be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Paul says it. Each one should be careful how he builds in the second part of verse 10. Each one should be careful how he builds, how you build your life. Jesus said, if you're not careful, it will come crashing down. Paul says it will burn up. So be careful how you build. A, choose materials wisely using, God, using godly wisdom. This whole study in Corinthians has contrasted godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Use godly wisdom, build with gold, silver, and precious stones, Paul says. Now, first of all, godly wisdom, as opposed to natural, worldly, fleshly wisdom. Take care of the kind of things you get involved with, what you spend your time doing, what you spend your money on. Is it lasting? Is it enduring? Will it survive the coming fire? Will it survive the day? Yes, provided you build with gold, silver, and precious stones. These represent sacrifice. They represent a significant investment. They represent denying ourselves worldly pleasure, denying ourselves self-indulgent and, wor- and working hard and not cutting corners. But we're talking about our lives. And it goes back to how Jesus put it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. You can't just hear and then, and then go about our, our, our lives. We, we must hear what Jesus says and put his words into practice. God's word, godly wisdom, holds the key to a successful, successfully getting through that day, the fire, but also through building a healthy marriage here raising godly children, investing your money wisely, making good choices at school, regarding friends and activities. Let me quickly share a little bit of that godly wisdom out from Jesus' own words. Back to Matthew chapter five, and we're just gonna I'm gonna do a real quick survey here. these are some of the things that Jesus said and I want you to listen to these this is godly wisdom and I want you to contrast that to, to worldly wisdom this is spiritual wisdom not, to, not getting this wisdom out of the world Matthew 5, 11 and 12 blessed are you when people insult you when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me now listen to what Jesus says and then try to start implementing this and putting it into practice. Jesus said, first of all, you're blessed when people are, are saying all kinds of bad things about you all over social media or they're persecuting you because, because of him or they're persecuting you because of your relationship with Jesus. And verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad. No, he didn't say, hey, fire something really rude back at him. He didn't say be be a a, a warrior on the internet, an internet warrior, whatever they're called. He said, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Different way of looking at things. Rejoice and be glad when that's going on, because you're identifying with Jesus, that's why they're treating you that way. Down in verse 21, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Now, there's one of the commandments that we're, uh, we know that we are to obey and follow. And, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, we're all good with that. Even the world accepts that. But, he says, I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anybody angry this morning? Anybody angry here, angry with a brother this morning? Be subject to judgment, he says. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which which means airhead, "You, you stupid idiot. Anyone who says this is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Yeah, yeah. Those are the words he said. Listen to my words and put them into practice. Start practicing these. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Settle matters quickly. Down in verse 27. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay, well, familiar with that in the Ten Commandments again? He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ouch. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now he's not literally talking about gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand. He's talking about not allowing lustful thoughts to to continue in our minds. Verse 31 and 32, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. It's tough stuff. It's tough stuff. This means we better be working on our marriage. We better be taking care to build our how we build our marriage. Verse 38, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And we could go on and on and on. This is spiritual wisdom. These are the things that he said, Jesus said, put into practice. Put that into practice. And then once you've got Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then turn to the rest of the scripture. B. Avoid worldly wisdom. Don't take shortcuts. Everything you hear on the news is worldly wisdom. It's unregenerate man trying to live life without God. You've probably seen the disaster that's going on with Lake Mead, and whereas they need, you know, they're used to water being way up here now because of the drought, it's way it's way down here. And so I have to cut back like 20-some percent of their water. And then they're going to have to cut that back in the agriculture as well. The farmers are going to have to cut back, find ways to make a little bit of water go further, cut back 27% of the water. Now you're cutting back 27% of your, your production probably. But who's praying about it? Who's looking to God about it? Who's confessing? Who's trying to take a spiritual approach to it. Unregenerate man is trying to live life without God, sometimes building beautiful things, but always empty and broken and desperate and addicted and wandering lost at best. Paul said use precious Use precious metals and precious stones. Don't use wood. Now, wood is relatively easy to come by in our area. Most homes are built with wood around this country, at least, and across the United States, because it's available and it's easy. Most people's lives are built that same way on the easiest, shortest path to happiness. The world can't wait, they know they're on a timer. I know houses that are actually built out of straw. Straw is even cheaper yet. It gets you by. Hay, I don't see too many or know too many that are built out of hay. Paul would have seen it in his travels thatched huts, sawed roofs. Now it's a matter of using what is available, it's a matter of using what is most convenient. And easiest now there is not one thing wrong with building a house out of any of those materials that's not the point the point is your life is very very precious don't cobble it up by keeping bad company or thinking you can get away with bad behavior because there is a day there is a day number three follow the plan until completion follow the plan until completion because there is a day when all of this that we see and feel and taste and touch here is going to be gone verse 13 the man's work will be shown for what it is because the day the day we're going to, the day all believers are going to stand before jesus there's a great white throne judgment that we're not going to be a part of. That's when man is going to get to present all of his good works before God and find out that it didn't count for anything, and they'll be eternally separated from God. But there is a day for the believer when we're going to stand before Jesus, and that day is going to bring our lives to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives he will receive his reward if it is burned up he will suffer loss he himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flames now if you're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ you are going to survive that day but if you build using the world's wisdom and plan and materials you're going to enter eternity smelling like you've been in a fire and just as importantly, and this is what we forget or never knew, there is one big fire at the end, but there are a lot of fires along the ways. as we, uh, uh, of, of any people, should be aware of that. There are other fires along the way when we build using highly combustible materials, when we do build with these things that Paul says, don't include these in your life we will experience much unnecessary pain in this life and heartache even here and now, even believers. You see, it's not just a matter of crowns later. My life without Jesus and his wisdom and him as my foundation not only looks a lot different than my previous life, I wouldn't trade this life for one day of the world's no matter what. This life for me has been built on gold and silver and precious stones. Unfortunately, using some wood and hay and stubble along the way. I hope it endures the test. I hope many of my actions were done with the right motives and intentions. There are often times that I can't even tell what my own motive and intention is. Because it is the motives and the intentions, how we do things, and the love that are truly the precious materials. And who can know the heart of a man? But time will bring it to light. Took a load to the dump yesterday, took about one and a half tons of stuff from around the house and couple previous builds. And I was reminded as I went out there, what a beautiful dump we have. I don't know how many of you remember Jack Abshire, if you ever knew Jack. Or Arnold Howard. Anybody here remember Arnold Howard? Ron, got Ron Hart back there. Well, anyway, a bunch of years ago, you know, every, every town or at least every county had their place you went and took your trash. Well, the EPA said, no, that ain't going to fly. We're going to, th- this is going to be a mess. We're going to clean some things up. So we're going to come up with some standards for your landfill. And one of those standards was you got to have a clay liner in there. And uh, in order to do that, you're going to have to get some heavy equipment. You're going to have to dig down. You're going to have to be sure that you got some clay down there, and then you can fill it back in. Well, these guys... Jack Abshire, Arnold Howard were county commissioners during that time. Arnold Howard, at least, lived right over here by Lila Schein. And uh, most counties and most cities said, hey, that's too expensive. We're not going to do that. We cannot do that. But somehow these guys had the foresight to say, well, we better just get in and do it. If that's the way it's going to be, we better follow the standards. We better follow the The guidelines, we better do it right. And today we really have a landfill that is probably second to none. People from all over the state bring their trash here. And we collect $17.58 a ton or whatever. If you happen to live here, you get five ton a year free or something like that. We're not all building a Taj Mahal But we're all building a precious, eternal existence. A precious, eternal building. So build it. So that when you're gone, you can be remembered. Or at least you'll be enjoying those rewards forever. So that hundreds of years from now, you are still enjoying the rewards from the efforts you made today, as well as enjoying that life and the rewards and benefits of it even right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, of course, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, Thank you that he is that foundation for us that we can build our lives on and we can count on. Even when things like COVID come, and even visiting with Yvonne this morning, you know the bottom line is, even if we were to die with COVID, we know where we're going. No matter what happens to us, no matter what we face, no matter what the no matter what the verdict is or what the diagnosis is, we know that. You are our foundation. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Father, I thank you for the words of Jesus that that he spoke and that he shared and that that as John said, if everything was recorded about him, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to tell us. But we thank you for what we do know. And I thank you for his teaching and for his, his warning and reminding us. Father, I thank you for for. Apostles like Paul who came along and said the same kind of a thing and reminded us that there is a day coming. And so we want to be very careful, very careful how we live today. Not only does it pay benefit today, we know, but for all of eternity. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for not surprising us. Thank you for warning us, preparing us, dying for us. Father, we thank you and we love you. Give us godly wisdom so that we might use the precious materials to build your church and our lives. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.